Welcome to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast, because sometimes what a writer needs most is other writers, even virtually. Poetry Out Loud is a national arts education program that runs a dynamic recitation competition to encourage high school students to study poetry. On March 15th, students from more than 20 high schools took part in the Poetry Out Loud state finals, vying for a spot at nationals in Washington, D.C. Welcome and thank you for joining us this evening for the 11th annual Colorado Poetry Out Loud State Finals Competition. (laughs) Earlier this afternoon, we heard the first round of performances from our students. We have 24 in the competition this year. And this evening, we'll be entertained with the second and third rounds and will crown this year's Colorado State Poetry Out Loud champion, who will then go on to represent Colorado at the National Finals in Washington, D.C. Yay! (laughs) My name is Sheila Sears, and I'm the Deputy Director of Colorado Creative Industries. We're a division of the Colorado Governor's Office, and we are the official state arts agency for the state of Colorado. Our mission is to promote, support, and expand the creative engines that drive Colorado's economy, grow jobs, and enhance quality of life. One of our goals is to assure opportunities for arts education and creative skill development for Colorado youth. We aim to help students succeed in school and enter a workforce that depends on creative thinkers and innovators. Students learn to think outside the box by studying the arts, whether they learn poetry, take drama classes, or play an instrument. Arts classes also stimulate analytic thinking skills, an important asset for every student and employee, regardless of discipline and field. Excuse me. <clears throat> Tonight's program is one way we support arts education for youth. Poetry Out Loud, which is funded by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Poetry Foundation, builds on the recent research of poetry as an oral art form and encourages students to explore and participate in the world of poetry through memorization and recitation. Poetry Out Loud teaches students to harness creative vigor, to appreciate literature, build self-confidence, and to hone verbal communication skills. And we partner this year with a very special organization, Lighthouse Writers Workshop, um, as our presenting partner, and Mike is here to continue our welcome to you. All right. Thank you, Sheila. Okay, you ready, guys? So um, it's my pleasure to um, introduce our next MC for the second round and the finals round. Joe Hutchison is the author of more than a dozen collections of poems, including Thread of the Real, The Rain at Midnight, Bed of Coals, winner of the Colorado Poetry Award, House of Mirrors, and the Colorado Governor's Award volume, Shadow Light. Two new collections are forthcoming, The Earth Boat from Folded Word and Marked Men, from Turning Point Books. Joe's poems and short stories have appeared in over 100 journals and several anthologies, most recently New Poets of the American West. Born and raised in Denver, Colorado, Joe graduated summa cum laude from the University of Northern Colorado and earned his Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the University of British Columbia. He has taught elementary through high school-aged children for poets in the schools programs in Colorado and Oregon, graduate-level students at the University of Denver's University College, and adult learners online. Joe lives with his wife, Melody, 
That's a perfect name for a poet, right? Perfect name, wife's name for a poet, Melody. Um, instead of iambic or pentameter, that wouldn't, that's not as nice. Anyways, with his wife, Melody, in the mountains southwest of Denver, and he makes his living as a writer. Professor Hutchinson will tell you more about how Poetry Out Loud competition works, and he'll introduce our judges and each of our participating students. Thanks again for being here, and please welcome to the stage Joe Hutchison. Whenever somebody uh, talks about me, I always say, who is that guy? Um, but uh, welcome. Welcome to all of you. It's great to see you. Um, I've been reading through some of the poems we're going to hear tonight, and I'm excited to, to, uh, to hear them aloud. When we read, we, uh, we hear the poem in our own voice. Usually, the poet is either not there or long dead, in which case he's not there as well. Um, but so we fill in. But it's always wonderful to hear uh, the poem performed. Um, po- I, I've, I've been a poet most of my life. Uh, there was a time when I couldn't say that, but I can say that now. Um, and and w- what strikes me about poetry, what I love about poetry, and one of the reasons I love this event, is that uh, it puts us in touch with language in a way that uh, really no other art form does. Um, it, oh, I get, I'll give you an example. This is a, a little poem, one of my favorites, a very old poem, uh, like old in my lifetime poem, uh, by Ted Couser, a wonderful Nebraska poet. It's called Cherry County, Nebraska. Very simple little thing. It goes, five crows by the road eating a dog. Their wings wash up in the wind. Like surgeons' hands, their beaks look dirty to the drivers too far off to see. I love that because uh, it says to me what poetry is really about. Poetry puts us in touch with the local, the specific, the particular, and gets us away from being the drivers on the highway that are just going by, which is how we spend most of our lives. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to uh, these wayside stops that we'll hear tonight. Um, Really, uh, Sheila covered much of uh, of what uh, was down here for me to say, thanks Sheila, um, about about the way this works. Uh, but I did want to, one thing that she didn't mention is that uh, since 2005, uh, this wonderful program uh, has reached more than 2.7 million students in 10,000 schools, and 45,000 teachers have participated. Now, that's an amazing program. Um, 10 years, really, I guess 11, 11 years. Uh, and 45,000 teachers, 10,000 schools. That's just an amazing thing to me. Um, and more than, this is the, the one that the students performing tonight will like to hear, that more than a million dollars in prizes have been awarded over that time. Is, is that the prize tonight, a million? <laughs> no? They're saying no. Um, sorry about that. Um, the... <laughs> hmm. I wish there was money in poetry. Um, 
But that's okay. In a way, it, uh, I've always felt that in a way it keeps poetry pure. If you write a, a novel and it's a best-selling novel, then your next novel has to be a repeat of that novel because you're building an audience. Poets have such a small audience that we can write whatever we feel like, which is fantastic. That's the way it should be. Um, I think Sheila did mention that tonight's uh, champion will be uh, representing Colorado at the national fi uh, finals on May 3rd and 4th, which uh, is, is coming up rather fast. And um, again, on the money front, oh, here's the real, the real McCoy, not a million, but close. Our state finals winner will receive $200 and an all-expense-paid trip to Washington, D.C. The winner's school will also receive a $500 stipend for the purchase of poetry books. I wonder if I'm on the list. I, I don't know. I'll have to check. Um, and uh, one runner-up will receive $100 and $200 for his or her school library. Um, I teach and administer a program at uh, the University of Denver. And uh, I have watched the library at the University of Denver over time move more and more of their books off campus. Now if you want an actual book, you have to go to the desk, tell them what you want, and in 15 or 20 minutes, it will arrive from the off-site warehouse. What happened, you know, I, I miss the days when you can browse. And so I'm glad that these school libraries will be having poetry where you can walk in, pick up a book, flip through it, and be inspired. To me, that's wonderful. Um, let's see. Uh, poetry Out Loud will uh, award more than $50,000 at the national finals. Ooh. Uh, a cash prize of $20,000 for the champion. God, can I get in? I'm too old for it. Never mind. Um, we're uh, really delighted to have 25 students uh, representing schools uh, from across the state here today. Actually, I think there's 24. We're, we're missing one person today who couldn't make it. Uh, these students and teachers have worked, you know, you've worked really hard to be here. And so we're really proud to have you, have you with us. Um, the, oh, I should say, how do you get, I, in fact, I asked uh, uh, Sheila at one point, this was earlier in the year, um, are there, how can we get more Colorado poets uh, in the competition? And then she reminded me that you choose from a na an anthology that's put together. And uh, so uh, what we have to do is agitate for Colorado poets to be in the anthology. Not me, I don't care. There are many, many fine poets, some of them judging tonight. So um, let's agitate for that. Uh, let's see. The judges will score each, each contestant in the following categories. Physical presence, so you can't just do it on Skype. Um, voice and articulation. Voice and articulation. Uh, Dramatic appropriateness. This is, I, we had some conversation in the back about what that really means, and I, I'm still not sure. I know I've been inappropriate in the past, so I'll try to avoid it. Um, evidence of understanding, that's pretty easy. Do you, you know what the words mean? It's pretty clear if you do. And then your overall performance. So it's kind of like the Academy Awards. You have those moments in the movie where the actress just nails it, you know, but then there's the overall performance 
to consider. So all of this flows in to these uh, brilliant judges' uh, perceptions, and they will be scoring you. Um, now, we're going to start with something that I don't think we had last year, uh, which was an accuracy judge. Um, and the accuracy judge will note any mistakes and stuff like that. So that just flows into the score. Um, let's see. Oh, and I'm supposed to say a correction to our program. Um, Chloe Braskett from uh, Fairview High School will recite Echo by Christina Rossetti instead of the poem that's listed in the, in the program. Okay. Uh, the students here today are fortunate to uh, have some talented, I was just talking about the judges, talented poets, performers, artists, and cultural leaders. Um, some of those qualities are mixed among numerous people. They play various roles in life. Um, and uh, poetry out loud, out loud involves both the art and its presentation. Our judges represent that uh, literary and performing communities. So you'll find their bios in the program. Uh, but I have to say that one of them was not able to be here at the last minute. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Robinson won't be able to join us. And uh, Kim O'Connor has kindly stepped in uh, to take her place. Kim, where are you? Wait, there's Kim O'Connor. Yay. <laughs> Lynn Wagner. Other end. Bobby Lefebvre. There, right in the middle. And then Nikki Beer. Yes. All right. Now, before we get going, I want to thank the, I, I'd like all of you to join me in thanking the, the dedicated teachers who implement Poetry Out Loud in the schools because uh, no matter how interested you students are, without the teachers really moving you along and keeping you focused, this wouldn't be happening. So uh, can the teachers who are here stand up? Come on. Yes. Give them a hand. Fantastic. All right. Let's see. Oh, also, there are sponsors uh, of this event. And uh, Mike Henry's uh, Lighthouse Writers Workshop is, uh, is one of them. Uh, Tattered Cover Bookstore, you uh, have probably all been there or heard about it. Book Bar is a, is a newer, small, independent store in northwest Denver. Uh, Stories on Stage, uh, which performs poetry and, and prose texts uh, in a sort of a reader's theater way. It's very fascinating. Mercury Cafe, Conundrum Press, one of the, one of the fine new uh, publishers in Colorado, and uh, Johnny's New York Pizza and Pasta. Yay! Pizza! Okay. Woo! All right. Um, and of course, uh, we have so many volunteers and uh, fantastic staff in this facility. I want to thank them as well, and the folks at Colorado Creative Industries for, for putting this together. Um, so I'm going to invite the first group. Oh, yes, Christina first, right? Christina. Christina James from Brush High School. Christina? Now, Christina is going to read what is a calibration poem. This is really for the judges to get a sense of how they themselves score. Um, so each judge will have a sense of where they begin. And Christina, have at it. She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies. 
and all that's best of dark and bright, me in her aspect and her eyes, thus mellowed to that tender light, which heaven to gaudy day denies. One shade the more, one ray the less, had half impaired the nameless grace, which waves in every raven tress, or softly lightens o'er her face, where thoughts serenely sweet express how pure, how dear their dwelling place. And on that cheek and o'er that brow, so soft, so calm, yet eloquent, the smiles that win, the tints that glow, but tell of days in goodness spent, a mind at peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. Thank you, Christina. All right. I was just thinking of the old days when you had to calibrate the color on your, on your computer. You still have to do that, but uh, not as much as you used to, but it was such a fascinating process. So the judges are calibrating at this very moment. Um, and we can move on from there as soon as they're done. They're done. All right. Now, yeah, again, please hold your applause. Do the, uh, this is very zen. So we're kind of taking, you know, advancing all of Lakewood with us when we're entering into this zen space of one hand clapping. So um, let's see. I need to invite the next, the first group up. You all know who you are? There they are. Come on up. Take your seat. I feel like we need some of that, you know, like Price is Right music or something to, to be playing while we come up here. Okay. Our first performer is Erica Kendrick from the Academy. Um, Always Something More Beautiful by Stephen Dunn. This time I came to the starting place with my best running shoes and pure speed held back for the finish. Came with only the love of the clock and the underfooting and the other runners. Each of us would be testing excellence and endurance in the other. Though on the past I'd often veer off to follow some feral distraction down a side path, allowing myself Allowing myself, allowing myself to pursue something odd or beautiful, becoming acquainted with a few of the ways not to blame myself for failing to succeed. I'd come to believe what's beautiful had more to do with daring to take yourself seriously, to stay the course, whatever the course might be. The person in front seemed ready to fade, his long, graceful stride shortening as I came up along his side. I was sure now I'd at least exceed my best time. But the man with the famous final kick had already begun his move. Beautiful, I heard a spectator say, as if something inevitable about to come from nowhere was again on its way. Thank you. Zin, thank you. That's by Stephen Dunn, a wonderful poet, I, I should say. Um, one of the best beards 
in the poetic industry. Okay, our next, our next performer is Daniela Ferro from... Oh, wait, oh, I'm sorry. I rushed again, I'm sorry. Math is happening back there. They're, they're calculating um, scores and that sort of thing. Though, that I don't envy because I'm not a math person. Anybody who's seen my checkbook will know that. Um, all right. I should continue to talk about beards, I guess. You know, uh, it used to be that all poets had beards, all male poets, a few female poets as well, but, you know, uh, it, now uh, it's, it's uncommon, and, and now we're good to stop talking about beards. Thank you. Um, Daniela Farrow from Bishop Matchbuff High School. On Quitting by Edgar Albert Guest. How much grit do you think you've got? Can you quit a thing you like a lot? You may talk of pluck, it's an easy word. And where do you go, it is often heard. But can you tell to a jot or guess just how much courage you now possess? You may stand to trouble and keep your grin. But have you tackled self-discipline? Have you ever issued commands to you to quit the things that you like to do? And then, when tempted and sorely swayed those rigid orders, have you obeyed? Don't boast of your grit till you've tried it out nor pray to men of your courage stout, for it's easy enough to retain a grin in the face of a fight. There's a chance to win, but the sort of grit that is good to own is the stuff you need when you're all alone. How much grit do you think you've got? Can you turn from joys you like a lot? Have you ever tested yourself to know how far with yourself your will can go? If you want to know, if you have grit, just pick out a joy that you like and quit. It's bully sport and it's open fight. It will keep you busy both day and night. For the toughest kind of a game you'll find is to make your body obey your mind. And you never will know what is meant by grit unless there's something you've tried to quit. Thank you, Daniela. Boy, that was uh, Edgar Guest. Edgar Guest was one of the uh, most famous poets of the early 20th century, he, he published widely in newspapers. Um, it was one of the things, I'll touch here on Ted Kuzer again, when Ted was Poet uh, Laureate of the United States, he started a, a poetry, an American Life in Poetry newspaper column that he makes available free to newspapers all across the country. And uh, I think it's running seven, 8,000 newspapers that use the poems published there. Uh, so we're getting back to the days of, of Mr. Guest. Okay, 
Ayana Reif from Branson High School. Bleeding Heart by Carmen Gimenez Smith. My heart is bleeding. It bleeds upwards and fills my mouth up with salt. My heart bleeds because of a city in ruins, the chair still warm from sister's body, because it will all be irreproducible. My heart bleeds because of baby bear not finding mama bear, and it bleeds to the tips of my fingers like I painted my nails crimson. Sometimes my heart bleeds so much I am a raisin. It bleeds until I'm a quivering, ragged clot, bleeds at the ending with the heroine and her sunken cancer eyes, at the ending with the plaintive flute over smoke-choked killing fields. I'm bleeding a river of blood right now, and it's wearing a culvert in me for the blood. My heart rises up in me, becomes the cork of me, and I choke on it. I'm bleeding for you and for me and for the tiny babies in the IED-blown leg. My heart bleeds because I'm made that way, all filled up with blood. My sloppy heart, a sponge filled with blood to squeeze onto any circumstance. Because it's mine, it will always bleed. My heart bled today. It bled onto the streets and the steps of City Hall, and it bled in the pizza parlor with the useless jukebox. I've got so much blood to give, inside and outside of any milieu, even for a bad zoning decision. I'll bleed so much you'll be bleeding, all of us bleeding in and out like it's breathing or kissing, and because it's righteous and terrible and red. Thank you, Ayana. I'm reconsidering the pizza after the pizza parlor in that poem. Um, poets uh, often work by building in meaning through illusion. They, not illusion, but allusion, alluding to other poems. And I think uh, that uh, Carmen does this here uh, when she says, um, when she talks about the, the heart bleeds because it is mine, because it is mine. Re that refers to, I think, a poem by Stephen Crane, which we may yet hear tonight, I believe. Um, yeah, thank you. All right. Dina Firkins, Brush High School. Shiloh, A Requiem, April 1862, by Herman Melville. Skimming lightly, wheeling still, the swallows fly low over the field in clouded days. The forest field of Shiloh, over the field where April rain solaced the parched one stretched in pain through the pause of night that followed the Sunday fight around the church of Shiloh. The church so lone, 
the log-built one that echoed to many a parting groan and natural prayer of dying foemen mingled there, foemen at morn, but friends at eve. Fame or country least their care, what like a bullet can undeceive. But now they lie low, while over them the swallows skim, and all is hushed at Shiloh. Thank you, Dina. I'm impressed again by Herman Melville. We know him as the author of Moby Dick, and if you have not read that book, um, it is a great book. It may not be great for you today, <laughs> but because it's very long, uh, and but it's very good. And uh, but it's odd to think that had he not written Moby Dick, he still probably would have been famous as a poet because his poetry is very, very good. Herman Melville. Remember that name. He'll be famous someday. Kaylee Haskett, Chatfield Senior High School. I felt a funeral in my brain, 340 by Emily Dickinson. I felt a funeral in my brain, and mourners to and fro kept treading, treading, till it seemed that sense was breaking through. And when they all receded, a service like a drum kept beating, beating till I thought my mind was going numb. And then I heard them lift a box and creak across my soul with those same boots of lead. Again then space began to toll as all the heavens were a bell and being but an ear and I and silence, some strange race wrecked solitary here. And then a plank in reason broke and I dropped down and down and hit a world at every plunge and finished knowing then Thank you, Kaylee. That uh, Emily Dickinson, I think of her as Aunt Emily, and I think of uh, Walt Whitman as Uncle Walt. They're the two uh, near relatives who uh, produced American poetry as we know it. Uh, what a wonderful, uh, a wonderful poem. Uh, Emily Dickinson, of course, was famous for being a recluse and uh, did not... I think she published maybe three or four poems in her lifetime, but uh, mostly tied her poems up in, in uh, bundles with ribbons, and they weren't discovered until after her death. Mm. Sheely Salas, The Classical Academy. The Days Gone By by James Whitcomb Riley. Oh, the days gone by. Oh, the days gone by. The apples in the orchard and the pathway through the rye. 
the chirrup of the robin and the whistle of the quail, as he piped across the meadows, sweet as any nightingale. When the bloom was on the clover and the blue was in the sky, and my happy heart brimmed over in the days gone by. In the days gone by when my naked feet were tripped by the honeysuckle's tangles where the water lilies dipped and the ripples of the river lipped the moss along the brink where the placid-eyed and lazy-footed cattle came to drink and the tilting snipe stood fearless of the truant's wayward cry and the splashing of the swimmer in the days gone by. Oh, the days gone by. Oh, the days gone by. <laughs> the music of the laughing lip, the luster of the eye, the childish faith in fairies, and Aladdin's magic ring, the simple, soul-reposing, glad belief in everything. When life was like a story, holding neither sob nor sigh, in the golden, olden glory of the days gone by. Thank you, Sheely. That I would love to say I know a whole bunch about James Whitcomb Riley, but I don't. I need to learn about him. Listen to that. I mean, that, that, that's wonderful. Tripped, dipped, ripples, lipped. Wow. Worked all into two lines. That's, that's remarkable. And uh, I have a feeling uh, with the uh, faith in fairies and Aladdin's ring, we may be talking about an Irishman. James Whitcomb Riley. That would be my guess. But uh, I wish I, I knew more about him. I just know that he's one of those that uh, is still available in a big, fat book like this. All right. Grace Gregert, College Pathways. Solitude by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. Laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep, and you weep alone. For the sad old earth must borrow its mirth, but has trouble enough of its own. Sing, and the hills will answer. Sigh, it is lost on the air. The echoes bound to a joyful sound, but shrink from voicing care. Rejoice, and men will seek you. Grieve, and they turn and go. They want full measure of all your pleasure, but they do not need your woe. Be glad, and your friends are many. Be sad, and you lose them all. There are none to decline, your nectared wine, but alone you must drink life's gall. Feast, and your halls are crowded. Fast, and the world goes by. Succeed and give, and it helps you live, but no man can help you die. 
There is room in the halls of pleasure for a large and lordly train. But one by one, we must all file on through the narrow aisles Wow. I can't figure out if Ella would have been a downer to know or if it's just that one poem. She's another one. Uh, I, I know her only from anthologies. It's one of the chastening things when you're a writer that you look back at anthologies full of people who were famous and now you think you're doing so well. But who knows? All right. Jared Paul Morris, Eaton High School. The Glories of Our Blood and State by James Shirley. The Glories of Our Blood and State are shadows, not substantial things. There is no armor against fate. Death lays his icy hand on kings. Scepter and crown must crumble down and in the dust be equal made with crooked scythe and spade. Some men with swords may reap the fields and plant fresh laurels where they kill. But their strong nerves at last must yield. They tame but one another still, early or late. They stoop to fate and must give up their murmuring breath when they, pale captives, creep to death. The garlands wither on your brow. Then boast no more your mighty deeds. Upon death's purple altar. See the, see the victors, the victors' victims bleed. Bring your heads to the cold tomb. Only the, only the actions of the just. Smell sweet and blossom in their dust. Death poems. Death poems. And yet there's humor in death in some ways. Uh, there's a, a, one of my favorite death poems by E.E. E. Cummings. goes like this. Buffalo Bill's defunct. 
who used to ride a water-smooth silver stallion and shoot one, two, three, four, five pigeons just like that. Jesus, he was a handsome man. And what I want to know is, how do you like your blue-eyed boy, Mr. Death? (laughs) Yeah, we can get some humor out of Death. Why not? And uh, way down at the end. Yes, there he is. I see him. Max Alexander Walter from Estes Park High School. Speak by Philip B. Williams. A storm and so a gift. Its swift approach lifts gravel from the road. A fence is flattened in the course of the storm's worst attempted language. Thunder's umbrage. A tree is torn apart, blown upward through a bedroom window. A boy winnows through the pile of shards for the sharpest parts from the blown apart glass. He has a bag that holds found edges jagged as a stag's horns or smooth as a single pane. Smashed into smaller panes that he sticks his hand into to make blood web across his achless skin, flexing like fish gills, O oh, lip for a scream. It cannot make. He wants to feel what his friends have felt. The slant of fear on their faces he could never recreate, his body configured without pain. When his skin's pouting welts don't rake a whimper from his mouth, he runs outside, arms up for the storm, aluminum baseball bat held out to the sky until lightning, with an electric tongue, makes his viscera luminescent. The boy's first word for pain is the light's new word for home. Thank you, Max. And I think now we can use both hands, right? Yes! I love the energy. And uh, I remember me youth when I had energy. It looked something like that. Welcome. We're going to start with Chloe Brasket from Fairview High School. Echo by Christina Rossetti. Come to me in the silence of the night. Come in the speaking silence of a dream. Come with soft, rounded cheeks and eyes as bright as sunlight on a stream. Come back in tears. O memory, hope, love of finished years. O dream, how sweet, too sweet, too bittersweet, whose wakening should have been in paradise. Or souls 
brimful of love, abide and meet, or thirsting, longing eyes watch the slow door, that opening, letting in, lets out no more. Yet come to me in dreams that I may live my very life again, though cold in death. Come back to me in dreams that I may live pulse for pulse, breath for breath. Speak low, lean low, as long ago, my love. How long ago? Thank you, Chloe. Christina Rossetti. Um, this, the, you can tell there's a sort of a thread of eroticism in the poetry, of the uh, strong lover's feelings going through it. And uh, it created quite a, not this poem in particular, but Christina created quite a scandal in her day, uh, being in the late Victorian period, where uh, people were so uptight they used to cover the legs of pianos with uh, cloth because they thought it might incite lustful feelings. No kidding. I'm not making it up. Okay. <laughs> Our next performer, Bobby Lynn Moya from Fort Morgan High School. In the Desert by Stephen Crane. In the desert, I saw a creature, naked, still, who, squatting upon the ground, held his heart in his hands and ate of it. I said, is it good, friend? It is bitter, bitter, he answered. But I like it because it is bitter and because it is my heart. See, that was a Stephen Crane poem. Yeah, good stuff. Um, bitter. Uh, Stephen Crane is more famous. You probably know him uh, uh, for the, as the author of The Red Badge of Courage, a, uh, uh, one of the greatest novels about the Civil War, although Stephen Crane was not in the Civil War. He was a journalist and knew of it only from newspaper accounts. Um, pretty amazing writer to be able to do that. Uh, when he died, he died very young, uh, in his late 20s, I believe, 28 uh, and uh, at his funeral attracted 20,000 mourners in New York City. So he was very famous at that time. All right. Our next performer, David Sendin Garcia, Fountain Valley School. Ode by Arthur O'Shaughnessy. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams wandering by lone sea breakers and sitting by desolate streams, world losers and world forsakers on whom the pale moon gleams. Yet, we are the movers and shakers of the world forever, it seems. With wonderful, deathless ditties, we build up the world's great cities, and out of a fabulous story, we fashion an empire's glory. One man with a dream at pleasure shall go forth and conquer a crown, and three with a new song's measure can trample an empire down. 
We, in the ages lying in the buried past of the earth, built Nineveh with our sighing and Babel itself with our mirth and overthrew them with prophesying to the old of the new world's worth. For each age is a dream that is dying or one that is coming to birth. Thank you. Author O'Shaughnessy, another one I don't know, but for crying out loud, there, there's that song uh, that, uh, about Michael, you'll know. Uh, we built this city on rock and roll, right? Isn't that what this poem is about? We built this city on rock and roll. Rock on, man. Arthur O'Shaughnessy. Very cool. All right. And uh, now uh, we'll go to our next reader. Kyla Steinman, Hexton High School. Song, Go and Catch a Falling Star by John Donne. Go and catch a falling star. Get with child a mandrake root. Tell me where all past years are. Or, who cleft the devil's foot. Teach me to hear mermaids singing or keep off envy singing, and find what wind serves to advance an honest mind. If thou beest born to strange sights, things invisible to see, ride ten thousand days and nights till age snow white hairs on thee, thou, when thou returnest, wilt tell me all strange wonders that befell thee, and swear Nowhere lives a woman true and fair. If thou findest one, let me know. Such a pilgrimage were sweet. Yet do not, I would not go. Though at next door we might meet, though she were true when you met her, and last till you write your letter, yet she will be false. Ere I come to two or three. Thank you. Poor John Dunn was disappointed by women. <laughs> he, he wrote of it frequently. He really did. Um, I love the line to hear mermaids singing. Eliot, T.S. Eliot, uh, quotes that line at the end of Another poem about disappointment in women called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Um, so Mr. Elliot and Mr. Dunn separated by a few hundred years, the same feelings. That's what poetry is, the same feelings over hundreds and hundreds of years. Hmm. Frankie Henderson, our next reader from Liberty High School. The Daring One by Edwin Markham. I would my soul were like the bird that dares the vastness undeterred. Look, where the bluebird on the bough breaks into rapture, even now, he sings tip-top the tossing elm as though he would a world o'erwhelm. Indifferent to the void he rides, Upon the wind's eternal tides, he tosses gladly on the kale, for well he knows he cannot fail. 
knows if the bow breaks, still his wings will bear him upward while he sings. Thank you, Frankie. A daring one, Edwin Markham. I'm trying to even place the century on that one. He, he was a, uh, Mike would know. Mike knows everything. That's the thing about Lighthouse Writers is you have access to Mike Henry and he knows all this stuff. Um, but uh, Edwin Markham, have you ever wondered why birds are so moving to us? Uh, maybe just because we can't do what they do. We can sit in a silver tube and fly with jet fuel spewing behind us. Not the same thing. Brittany Hall. I know I, I wrote this down. Oh, Longview. I can't even read my own handwriting. Longview High School. 100 Love Sonnets, number 17 by Pablo Neruda. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or an arrow of carnations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things, secretly between the shadow and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom but carries, the light of those flowers hidden within itself, and thanks to your love, the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love, except in this form in which I am not, nor are you. So close that your hand upon my chest is mine. So close that your eyes close. Thank you, Brittany, and thank you, Pablo Neruda, for a great poem, that Love for Women. Yes, that's a, uh, he has a 100 uh, uh, love sonnets, but he also wrote really three uh, books of poems to uh, the woman who later in life became his, his uh, wife, and uh, it's a remarkable love story. Um, uh, and what is it? The Postman, I think, is the name of a movie that was based on that love affair. Uh, so if you ever get a chance to watch that, do it. Kira Amels, Amels? Amels, uh, Mountain Vista High School. The Legend by Garrett Hongo. In Chicago, it is snowing softly. And a man has just done his wash for the week. He steps into the twilight of early evening, carrying a wrinkled shopping bag full of neatly folded clothes, and for a moment enjoys the feel of warm laundry and crinkled paper flannel-like against his gloveless hands. There's a Rembrandt glow on his face, a triangle of orange in the hollow of his cheek as a last flash of sunset blazes the storefronts and lit windows of the street. He is Asian, Thai, or Vietnamese, and very skinny, dressed as one of the poor in rumpled suit pants and a plaid mackinaw, dingy and too large. 
He negotiates the slick of ice on the sidewalk by his car, opens the fair lane's back door, leans to place the laundry in, and turns for an instant toward the flurry of footsteps and cries of pedestrians as a boy. That's all he was. Backs from the corner package store, shooting a pistol, firing it once at the dumbfounded man who falls forward, grabbing at his chest. A few sounds escape from his mouth, a babbling no one understands. As people surround him, bewildered at his speech, the noises he makes are nothing to them. The boy has gone, lost in the light array of foot traffic, dappling the snow with fresh prints. Tonight, I read about Descartes' grand courage to doubt everything except his own miraculous existence. And I feel so distinct from the wounded man lying on the concrete. I am ashamed. Let the night sky cover him as he dies. Let the weaver girl cross the bridge of heaven and take up his cold hands. Like some of the other poems, that one gives the message, which we all need to get, all of us trying to write poetry, that it's not all about our little lives. You can write about other people. It's safe. You can do it. And uh, when you read uh, poems like that that are full of compassion and, and uh, objective connection with another person, very moving stuff. Um, our uh, next... Where? There she is. Jessica... Burtness, uh, Niwot High School. Fairy Tale Logic by A. E. Stallings. Fairy tales are full of impossible tasks. Gather the chin hairs of a man eating goat, or cross a sulfuric lake in a leaky boat. Select a prince from a row of identical masks, tiptoe up to a dragon where it basks and snatch its bone. Count dust specks moat by moat, or learn the phone directory by rote. Always it's impossible what someone asks. You have to fight magic with magic. You have to believe that you have something impossible up your sleeve. The language of snakes, perhaps. An invisible cloak. An army of ants at your back, or a lethal joke. The will to do whatever must be done. Marry a monster. Hand over your firstborn son. A.E. Stallings, one of the best poets we have. Um, she lives, or lives at least part of the year in Greece, and she's done quite a bit of translation of ancient Greek poetry. Uh, and found these forms like this, and I think that's why she got drawn into writing about 
fairy tales and myths and so on is from her time in Greece. Uh, she's a, a terrific poet. All right. Jasmine Groves, Northfield High School. To Helen by Edgar Allan Poe. Helen, thy beauty is to me like those Nicene barks of yore that gently over perfume sea the weary way-worn wanderer bore to his own native shore. On desperate seas long want to roam, thy hyacinth hair, thy classic face, thy naiad airs have brought me home to the glory that was Greece and the grandeur that was Rome. Lo, in yon brilliant window niche, how statue-like I see thee stand, the agate lamp within thy hand. Ah, Psyche, from the regions which are holy land. My first uh, love as a, as a reader was Edgar Allan Poe. And Poe was how I started writing, not poetry, but uh, prose. Dark, bloody, short stories in which the characters melted into puddles of goo. I loved it. Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. But when he wrote poetry, it was always this wonderful... Uh, up-in-the-air work. Very nice. All right. Our third and final group. Mayank Mishra from Peak to Peak Charter School. The Idler by Alice Moore Dunbar Nelson. An idle lingerer on the wayside's road. He gathers up his work and yawns away a little longer ere the tiresome load shall be reduced to ashes or to clay. No matter if the world has marched along and scorned his slowness as it quickly passed, no matter if amid the busy throng he greets some face infantile at the last. His mission? Well, there is but one, and if it is a mission, he knows it nay, to be a happy idler, to lounge and sun and dreaming, pass his long-drawn days away, so dreams he on his happy life to pass, content without ambition's painful sighs, until the sands run down into the glass he smiles, content, unmoved, and dies. And yet, with all the pity that you feel for this poor mothling of that flame the world, are 
you, the better for your desperate deal when you, like him into infinitude, are hurled? Another one, Alice Moore Dunmar Nelson, escaped me. But I love that, uh, uh, the line, uh, the poor mothling. I never even heard of the word mothling. There's no better way to build your vocabulary than to read poetry. That's basically what it comes down to. Uh, poets are always exploiting words that exist and making up words that don't exist to get at the feelings and thoughts that they have. So it's, a, it's an education in itself. All right, our next performer, Heather Hawley from Ponderosa High School. Epitaph on the tombstone of a child, the last of seven that died before, by Afra Ben. This little silent, gloomy monument contains all that was sweet and innocent. The softest prattler that e'er found a tongue. His voice was music and his words a song, which now each listening angel smiling hears such pretty harmonies compose the spheres, wanton as unfledged cupids ere their charms has learned the little arts of doing harms, fair as young cherubins, as soft and kind, and though translated could not be refined, the seventh Dear pledge the nuptial joys had given, toiled year on earth, retired to rest in heaven. Were they the shining hosts of angels fill, spread their gay wings before the throne, and smile? Afro Ben, I believe, uh, Renaissance, late Renaissance uh, German poet. I may be wrong about that. I probably am. Ask Mike um, afterwards. Just just go ahead and ask him about Afro Ben. <laughs> the uh, very touching poem, um, epitaphs of children, hard to uh, hard to make them not moving. Right? Very tough. Uh, nicely done. All right. Um, Ah, Christina Rossetti again. Okay, Lexi Shoemaker, Range View High School. A More Monday by Christina Rossetti. Oh, where are you going with your love locks flowing on the west wind blowing along this valley track? The downhill path is easy. Come with me, and it please ye. We shall escape the uphill by never turning back. And so they too went on in glowing August weather. And honey breathing Heather lay to their left and right. And she was to dote on, her swift feet seemed to float on, the air like soft twin pigeons. 
so soft and to a light. Oh, what is that in the heaven where gray cloud flakes are seven, where blackest clouds hang riven just at the rainy skirt? Oh, that's a meteor sent us, a message dumb, pretentious, an undeciphered solemn, a signal of help or hurt. Oh, what is that that glides quickly where velvet flowers grow thickly? A scaled and hooded worm. Oh, what is that in the hollow so pale I quake to follow? Oh, that's a thin dead body which waits the eternal term. Turn again, my sweetest, turn again, false and fleetest. This beaten way thou beatest, I fear, is... Hell's, hell's own term. Nay, too steep, steep for hill mounting. Nay, too late for cost counting. The downhill path is easy, but there is no turning back. I don't, I'm always charmed by Christina Rossetti. I don't know. Maybe in a past life I knew her or something, you think? That's possible. My wife believes in that stuff. She, uh, she's always talking about past lives, and she, ha- she says things that when you... She'll dream things and tell you about them, and then you look it up, and there it is. And, and I know she didn't read the book. She, didn't, she doesn't read history, and there it is. It scares me sometimes, I have to say... All right, Beth Ann Travers, Swink School. It was not death, for I stood up, 355, by Emily Dickinson. It was not death, for I stood up, and all the dead lie down. It was not night, for all the bells put out their tongues for noon. It was not frost, For on my flesh I felt the sick crawl, nor fire, for just my marble feet could keep a chancel cool. And yet, it tasted like them all. The figures I have seen set orderly for burial remind me of my own, as if my life were shaven and fitted to a frame and could not breathe without a key. And twas like midnight some, when everything that ticked has stopped, and space stares all around where grisly frost, first autumn morns repeal the beating ground, but most like chaos, stopless, cool, without a chance or spar or even a report of land to justify despair. Thank you. Emily, Aunt Emily wrote some cheerful poems too. I don't know if they're in the anthology or not, but uh, I don't know if you can, she, she purposely broke up her lines with dashes and in the first editions of her books when they were finally published they corrected all of the 
punctuation and so on. But what's amazing about it is she's using a hymn format but breaking it up into these chunks. So you have the rhyme of a hymn, the meter of a hymn, but broken up, and uh, it's, it's fascinating the way she did that. All right. Tashea Henderson, Thornton High. Caged Bird by Maya Angelou. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream to the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But the bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied. So he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill. For the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds saw the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But the caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on the nightmare scream. His wings are clipped, and his feet are tied. So he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown, but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill. For the caged bird sings of freedom. Maya Angelou, you can tell from the poem that she started out as a singer. The, it has that, the cadences of song to it. Um, quite beautiful stuff. Um, it reminds me, too, there's a, a poem by the Italian poet uh, Giuseppe Ungaretti uh, where he talks about not to live on anguish like a blinded finch. And I always wondered, what does that mean? Why, why the blinded finch? And it turns out that uh, in his, his youth, when he was uh, the turn of the last century, the 20th century, um, people used to blind finches and put them in a cage and bl by blinding them they would sing more beautifully how scary is that alright Dominique Shells from uh, Valor Christian High School Life in a Love by Robert Browning Escape Me? Never Beloved, while I am I and you are you, so long as this world contains us both, me the loving and you the loath, while the one eludes, must the other pursue. My life is a fault at last, I fear. It seems too much like a fate indeed. And though I do my best, I shall scarce succeed. But 
what if I fail at my purpose here? It is but to keep the nerves that strain, to dry one's eyes and laugh at a fallen, baffled, get up, begin again. So the chase takes up one's life. That's all. Now, look but once from your farthest bound at me so deep in the dust and dark. No sooner the old hope goes to the ground than a new one. Straight to the self-same mark. I shape me. Ever removed. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Should I read you a poem? I've got a lot of time, he says. Well, I'll read one that's funny. I just translated a book of poems. Uh, I think of them as prose poems by uh, Miguel Lupian, who's a, a Mexico City writer. It's from his book, Ephemeral. And uh, we just passed uh, Valentine's Day. So this is his poem. Uh, again, a prose poem called Looking for Love. The church bell chimes announcing the dawn of a new day echo on the concrete walls. Arthur crosses the backyard brandishing a pair of scissors. He unties the billy goat he bought a few days ago at the Sonora Market. He throws it down and jabs the scissors into its jugular. Then he cuts from the top of the sternum to the pubic symphysis. He widens the cut toward the limbs and peels away the skin. He drops the scissors and unbuttons his shirt, his pants, takes off his shoes, eyeglasses, covers his naked body with the billy goat's warm skin. And... As on every other Valentine's Day, Arthur roams the city streets in search of love. <laughs> oh, my Valentine's Day was considerably more sedate than that. <laughs> that took us a little bit to Mexico. So uh, my, my wife and I have been going to Mexico. This will be our 22nd year in a row to the same place because we fell in love with the people and uh, the place. It's north of uh, Playa del Carmen on the Yucatan Peninsula. So uh, I have a bunch of poems here about, about Mexico. Um, so let me... i got to make sure I, I don't want to overstay my welcome here. Um, okay. This is one called... Black-footed albatross. And this is almost a journalistic poem. It's what really happened. Black-footed albatross. Let's see if there's something I should mention. I should mention a brujo. You all know what a brujo is? No, a brujo is a witch doctor. Uh, and uh, so a brujo. There are also brujas. Brujas are uh, not witch doctors. They're just witches, I guess. But they're, they're really... Curanderas, they're people who cure with herbs. But brujos are a little more dangerous. And at the end, uh, I also talk about Coleridge. Do you know his famous poem about the albatross? Did you read that in school? Yes, where they shoot the albatross on on the ship and it brings all kinds of bad luck. The albatross dies. Um, And in the end, I imagine the albatross speaking. Now, when I said this was a journalistic poem, the bird did not really speak. But in my head, he did. So, 
black-footed albatross. Just where the sliding tide shreds into whitish tatters on the shore, an albatross stands. Draggled wings cranked wide, the feathers like charcoal streaks fanned out in the late-day wind, each foot a splash of ink on the sand. We creep close, near enough to touch and snap his picture. A boy prances and flaps his arm, but the bird doesn't scare. He stares out to sea, shadow stretched thin on the wave-pummeled beach, beak uplifted like a brujo's stick finger. He must be dying, someone says, but this creature's never heard of Coleridge. When the time feels right, he thrusts himself two quick steps forward and up, lifting and veering over the swells close in and then the far whitecaps. The next day, he's back, jet-eyed, imperturbable. Perhaps it's some private ritual or maybe some kind of annunciation. There are many worlds in this world each alive with many gods. Mine go by names. Your tongue is too thick to pronounce. That's what I imagined he said. Thank you. There is a a type of poetry called conceptual poetry. Have you heard of it? Oh, well, just as well. Um, the reason is just as well, is the idea behind conceptual writing is that the writing itself is not important, it's the idea behind the writing. And in fact, the main advocate of this is a guy named Kenny Goldsmith, and Kenny says that um, he assumes that no one will read his books because he doesn't care about the words, he cares about the idea behind the books. Just take a second to absorb that, okay? So this is called a conceptual writing. In the chipped blue bowl, there are snippets of lettuce, the edges brown with an oysterish slime. Tough tomato wedges the color of sun-bleached orange plastic, deliquescent cucumber slices, carrot shreds curled and dry as the armpit hair of a carnival strongman. Dressing the consistency of industrial sludge. We're hungry but reluctant, and in the end don't bother taking a bite. On the restaurant's comment card we write, the salad you served was rancid, but the idea of it pictured on the menu was delicious. (laughs) This is a little book called The Satire Lounge. It's it's all satirical poems of various kinds. Um, Robert Bly, one of my favorite poets, Minnesota poet, um, has a a rather famous poem about watering the horse, where he says, uh, it ends, he says, with such clear eyes I see the flake of snow that has just fallen in the horse's mane. And he does that when he reads, he waves his hand and does all that. So I decided to write a little parody of of his beautiful little poem. It's really a 
a backward homage to Bly, called Lighting a Cigar Beside the Public Works Trench. Oh, his begins, by the way, with, how strange to think of giving up all ambition. That's how his poem begins. Mine begins, how strange to think of giving up all punctuation. Suddenly I see with such clear eyes the match's exclamation point as it flares toward the hissing split in the muddy gas main. Uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing. Um, there are, are, are poets. There's a poet. I can't help it. I like him. But um, I get, he publishes too much. He publishes everything. He's one of those famous people that uh, because he is famous, everybody wants to, his name in their magazine and every publisher wants to publish his books. So he publishes literally a book every year and a half. And he's done this for a long time. I'm not going to say who he is. But he always wins awards too. So there's a little bit of jealousy, I have to admit. What can I say? So... Another prize-winning poetry collection. I don't know what's more humiliating, that I read it through in one rapt sitting, grinning and grieving in all the right places, or that I acquired it free for review and still felt cheated, but nevertheless slipped it into the bookcase beside a dozen more hard-bound and slicketed sick ooh, I can't even say it, slickly jacketed volumes by the same implacable scribbler. <laughs> you ever get, uh, I don't know, do you guys, any of you ever get hooked like on a fantasy series or something like that? Uh, and and you, you read book one, oh, it's fantastic. And then you read book two and, oh, it's really good. And you read book three, it's slowing down a little book. You read book four, it's twice as long as it needs to be, you know. And then you get to book 12 and you're just buying them and just reading them and saying, okay. And then you put them on the shelf and there they all are. At least you finished them. That's the spirit of that poem. I'm back to Mexico, a taste of Mexico. Three tequilas, mind lucid, tongue thick with strange words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll end with one of Miguel's. Um, Miguel has, remember I said that Poe was my early influence? And he, uh, I think he must have been uh, one of Miguel's early influences too. Here's, one called, here's an example. This is called The Visitor. I know you're in the corner of the room, hiding among cracks in the paint. You hope I'll let the book go and fall asleep so you can inject yourself through my mouth and bask in the warmth of my innards. It's always been this way, waking up with bruised skin and bad breath, finding your crusty secretions in my eyes, sensing you in hands and thighs, cutting myself, poking around in my veins, fainting away, waking up anemic and bewildered, knowing nothing about you. But tonight, you won't defeat me. 
In a few minutes, I'll shut my eyes. And when you sit on my lips, I'll bite you until you're torn to pieces. Later, I'll spit the remains of you into the book and slip it onto the shelf right next to the volumes that hold the other visitors in check. (laughs) All right. Miguel Lupian. All right, here we go. The first thing I did is I looked at the author. I said, Marianne Moore's here. These are the eight finalists. Please come up when your name is called and take a seat. And for God's sake, don't make noise. Anyway, Daniela Farrell. Daniela? Yes! Kaylee Haskett. Sheila Salas. Chloe Brasket. Wow, that rhymed. Haskett and Brasket. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. David Sendon Garcia. Sendon. Kira Amos. Mayank Mishra. And Heather Hawley. We're rolling straight in. Are you guys ready? You guys are okay? Bring it on. All right then. I'm excited to hear this. Congratulations, guys. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, our first performer, Daniela Farrell. A Graveyard by Marianne Moore. Man, looking into the sea, taking the view from those who have as much right to it as you have it to yourself. It is human nature to stand in the middle of a thing, but you cannot stand in the middle of this. The sea has nothing to give but a well-excavated grave. The firs stand in a procession, each with an emerald turkey foot at the top reserved as their contours, saying nothing. Repression, however, is not the most obvious characteristic of the sea. The sea is a collector, quick to return a rapacious look. There are others besides you who have worn that look whose expression is no longer a protest. The fish no longer investigate them, for their bones have not lasted. Men lower nets, unconscious of the fact that they are desecrating a grave, and row quickly away, the blades of the oars moving together like the feet 
of water spiders. As if there were no such thing as death. The wrinkles progress upon themselves in a phalanx, beautiful under networks of foam, and fade breathlessly while the sea rustles in and out of the seaweed. The birds swim through the air at top speed, emitting catcalls as heretofore. The tortoise shell scourges about the feet of the cliffs in motion beneath them and the ocean. Under the pulsation of lighthouses and noise of bell buoys, advances as usual, looking as if it were not that ocean in which dropped things are bound to sink, in which if they turn and twist, it is neither with volition nor consciousness. Wow. Marianne Moore. Holy moly. Um, I forgot to say that Daniela is from Bishop Matchbuff High School. So... Um, I'll try to remember to say that for each of the rest of the people. Marianne Moore um, was uh, a terrific poet, famous for uh, writing syllabic verse. Syllabic verse is where the poet decides on how many syllables are in each line and then keeps to that syllable pattern throughout the poem. It's not for uh, wimps syllabic verse. I think we're ready? Yes? Awesome. All right. Kaylee Haskett Chatfield Senior High School. Zaquan Papalotos by Brenda Cardenas in memory of Jose Antonio Borciaga, nineteen forty seven to nineteen ninety six. We are chameleons. We become chameleon. Jose Antonio Borciaga. We are space between the black-orange blur of a million monarchs on their two-generation migration south to Fur Crown Macoacan, where tree trunks will sprout feathers, a forest of paper-thin wings. Our Mexica, cocooned in the membranes de la Madre Terra, say we are reborn, Zacuan Pabalorums. Mariposas negras eranjaras, in whose sweep the dead whisper. We are between the flicker of a chameleon's tail that turns his desert blue backbone to jade or pink sand, the snake-skinned fraternal twins of solstice and equinox, the ashen dawn silvering dusk la oracion as it leaves the lips. The tug from sleep, the glide into dreams that husk out Mitsitsa memory. We are one life passing through the prism of all others, gathering color and songs and pachutzil and drum to leave a rhythm scattered on the wind, dust tinting the tips of fingers as we slip into our new light. 
Wow, I have got to find the wor more work by Brenda Cardenas. Wow, good stuff. Um, there's a musicality and a, and a, uh, a sensuousness in, in Spanish verse that uh, remarkably comes across in that translation, uh, and, and the, the mixing of Spanish and English is so beautiful. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not supposed to talk directly to them, so I won't, but don't forget to tell me what country she's from later. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Where are we here? Oh, Chile Salas. The Classical Academy. More Lies by Karen Gottschall. Sometimes I say I'm going to meet my sister at the cafe, even though I have no sister, just because it's such a beautiful thing to say. I've always thought so ever since I read a novel in which two sisters were constantly meeting in cafes. Today, for example, I walked alone on the wet sidewalk, wearing my rain boots, expecting someone might ask where I was headed. I bought a steno pad and a watch battery. The store windows fogged up. Rain in April is a kind of promise, and it costs nothing. I carried a bag of books to the cafe and ordered tea. I like a place that's lit by lamps. I like a place where you can hear people talk about small things, like the difference between azure and a cerulean, and the price of tulips. It's going down. I watch someone who could be my sister walk in, shaking the rain from her hair. I thought, even now, florists are filling their coolers with tulips. Five dollars a bundle. All over the city, there are sisters. Any one of them could be mine. Another poet I don't know, Karen Gottschall. That is fantastic. I, I love, uh, um, again, many things about it, but uh, it's like a stick in the eye, a finger in the eye. Of, who was it that did the finger in the eye? The Bronco? What was his name? Yeah, yeah, like that, to T.S. Eliot, right? He said, Eliot says, April is the cruelest month breeding lilacs out of the dead land and she's going, ah, April is wonderful. I like that. All right. Chloe Braskett from Fairview High School. Tomorrow by Dennis O'Driscoll. One. Tomorrow I will start to be happy. The morning will light up like a celebratory cigar. Sunbeams sprawling on the lawn will set dew sparkling like a cut glass tumbler of champagne. Today will end the worst phase of my life. I will put my shapeless days behind me fencing off the past as a golden rind of sand parts slipshod sea from solid land. 
It is tomorrow I want to look back on, not today. Tomorrow I start to be happy. Today is almost yesterday. Two. Australia, how wise you are to get the day over and done with first, out of the way. You have eaten the fruit of knowledge while we are dithering about which main course to choose. How liberated you must feel. How free from doubt. The rise and fall of stocks, today's closing prices, are revealed to you before our bidding has begun. Australia, you can gather in your accident statistics like a harvest while our roads still have hours to kill. When we are in the dark, you have sagely seen the light. Three. Cagely, presumptuously, I dare to write 2018 a date without character or tone, 2018, a year without interest rates or mean daily temperature. Its hit songs have yet to be written, its New Year babies yet to be induced, its truces to be signed, much too far off for prophecy, the one <laughs> Hazard's a tentative guess. A so-so year, most likely. Vague in retrospect, fizzling out with the usual end-of-season sales. Everything slashed. Your last chance to salvage something of its style. Dennis O'Driscoll, wonder, wonderful poet. An Ulsterman, so he speaks with that very soft Irish accent. I say speaks, he no longer lives, unfortunately. He, he died quite young, I think age 52. Um, so uh, it really, it hit me writing about 2018, because he won't see it. Oh well. Ah, yes, David. Sandon Garcia from Fountain Valley School. A Boat Beneath a Sunny Sky by Lewis Carroll. A boat beneath a sunny sky lingering onward dreamily in an evening of July. Children three that nestle near eager eye and willing ear pleased a simple tale to hear Long has paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die. Autumn frosts have slain July. Still, she haunts me, phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, never seen by waking eyes. Children yet the tale to hear, eager eye and willing ear. Lovingly 
shall nestle near. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die. Ever drifting down the stream, lingering in the golden gleam, life, what is it but a dream? Most of us, as far as Lewis Carroll's poetry, only know Jabberwocky, and there, this is wonderful. Uh, just to point out one thing, it, not to sound pedantic, but for crying out loud, lingering onward, what a fantastic use of that verb. We don't use it that way. Lingering onward. That's just terrific. I'm jealous. Lewis. Okay. Kara Amos. Oh, Mountain Vista High School. Very Large Moth by Craig Arnold, after DHL. Your first thought, when the light snaps on and the black wings clutter about the kitchen, is a bat. The clear part of your mind considers rabies. The other part does not consider, knows only to startle and cower away from the slap of its wings, though it is soon clearly not a bat, but a moth, and harmless. Still you are shy of it. It clings to the hood of the stove, not black, but brown. Its orange eyes sparkle like televisions. Its leg joints are large enough to count. How could you kill it? Where would you hide the body? A creature so solid must have room for a soul. And if this is so, why not in a creature half its size or half its size again? And so on down to the ants. Clearly, it must be saved. Caught in a shopping bag and rushed to the front door, afraid to crush it, feeling the plastic rattle loosen into the night air. It batters the porch light, throwing fitful shadows around the landing. That was a really big moth, is all you can say to the doorman who has watched your whole performance with a smile. The half-compassion and half horror. We feel for the creatures we want not to hurt and prefer not to touch. Craig Arnold, a terrific poet. His first book was called Shells and it was, it's full of the most wonderful poems about cooking. He was a gourmet cook. Um, yeah, so Shells is an excellent book. When he says DHL in there, he's talking about D.H. Lawrence, who has a magnificent poem about a moth as well. So uh, if, if you go back to the Lawrence poem, you'll get how, how his is sort of a takeoff of that. And I think, oh, we are ready. Oh, there we go. Mayank Mishra. Peak to peak, charter school. Quite frankly, by Mark Halliday. 
they got old. They got old and died. But first, okay, but first they composed plangent depictions of how much they lost and how much cared about losing. Meantime, their hair got thin and more thin as their shoulders went slumpy. Okay, but not before the photo albums got arranged by them. Arranged with a niftiness. Not just two or three, but 18 photo albums. Yes, 18 eventually. 18 albums proving the beauty of them and not someone else. Them and their relations and friends. Incontrovertible. Playing croquet in that Bloomington yard, floating on those comic inflatables at Dow Lake, giggling at the Dairy Queen, waltzing at the wedding, building a Lego palace on the porch, holding the baby, beside the rental truck, leaning on the Hemingway statue at Pamplona, discussing the eternity of art in that Sardinian restaurant. Yes. And so, quite frankly, at the end of the day, they got old and died. Okay, sure, but quite frankly, how much does that matter in view of the 18 photo albums? Big ones, 13 inches by 12 inches each full of such undeniable beauty. I can always recommend Mark Halliday to go to as a poet if you need your daily dose of irony. He's terrific. Um, and a fiction writer, too, as, as well. I don't know. Some people have all the talents. I, I don't think it's handed out fairly. I just want to, re you know, for the record, the talent is not handed out fairly. Okay? So, all right. We're going. All right. Final performer, Heather Hawley from Ponderosa High School. Israfel by Edgar Allan Poe. And the angel Israfel, whose heartstrings are a lute, and who has the sweetest voice of all God's creatures. Quran. In heaven, a spirit doth dwell, whose heartstrings are a lute. None sings so wildly well as the angel Israfel. And the giddy stars, so legends tell, ceasing their hymns, attend the spell of his voice, all mute. Tottering above, in her highest noon, the enamored moon blushes with love. While to listen, the red leaven, with the rapid pleiades, even which were seven, pauses in heaven, and they say the starry choir and the other listening things, that Israfeli's fire is owing to that lyre by which he sits and sings. 
the trembling living wire of those unusual strings. But the skies that angel trod, where deep thoughts are our duty, where loves a grown-up god, where the hourly glances are imbued with all the beauty which we worship in a star. Therefore, thou art not wrong, is our fellow who despisest an unimpassioned song. To thee the laurels belong, best bar, because the wisest merely live long. The ecstasies above with thy burning measure suit, thy grief, thy joy, thy hate, thy love, with the fervor of thy lute. Well, may the stars be mute. Yes, heaven is thine, but this is a world of sweets and sours. Our flowers are merely flowers, and the shadow of thy perfect bliss is the sunshine of ours. If I could dwell where Israel hath dwelt, and he where I, he might not sing so wildly well a mortal melody, while a bolder note than this might swell from my lyre within the sky. Ah, oh, we're there. Thank you. You don't get better than this. I'm going to actually read this. And now is the moment we've been waiting for. <laughs> it's true. The runner-up for the Poetry Out Loud State Championship is Kira Amels. Okay, and our champion for Poetry Out Loud in the state of Colorado is David Garcia. Lighthouse would like to thank the following generous donors that make events like this possible. The Scientific, Cultural, and Facilities District, the National Endowment for the Arts and Artworks, Colorado Creative Industries, Denver Arts and Venues, and many others. For more information about Lighthouse Writers Workshop, please go to lighthousewriters.org.